Scano Segoani, Bojo Kwekwe Tansi. Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. On this International Women's Day, we are going to honor women today. We uh, do have, as I say, we are featuring women and we are talking about women to honor them for International Women's Day. And on the show today, we have a couple of guests. We're going to have a phone call later on with uh, Kim Wheatley. And uh, she is an, an, Abra- an Anishinaabe cultural consultant. We're going to be talking with her. And uh, we are going to also be talking about uh, someone who we lost recently and um, uh, who, who is very important, uh, Josephine Mandeman, who died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and she was a very important woman uh, in protecting water. And uh, we're going to be speaking and honoring her. And uh, we do have a couple of uh, 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 indigenous women singing group songs that uh, we'll be featuring from the New Credit community. And uh, But to begin the show today, uh, our guest in the studio is, is Audra Root, and she is here to tell us about her daughter, uh, who uh, just uh, passed away uh, in September of last year. And we're, we're going to hear about her story. Uh, it's a story that I would say is not uncommon. It's something that uh, will be familiar to people. But I think it's something we should be uh, making ourselves aware of and also talking about to make sure that these stories don't go unheard and that we find closure for people if we can and that we move on, of course, but that we want to honor them and also try to put some light on the issues and things that surround lives of people, uh, Indigenous women, but also uh, all, all women. So we're here to uh, to speak with Audra. Ra- Audra is in the studio with me now, and she, uh, Audra, it's great to have you here. I really appreciate you coming all the way from Saugeen First Nation to uh, to come down and share this story with us today. Thank you very much, David. I'm happy to be here. So, Audra, I'd, li- I'd like you to tell us about your your daughter Megan Megan Enquat, who, uh, as I say, passed away at the age of 28 just last September. But I would like you to take us through the events that led up to her, you know, how, how this all started for her. I mean, you know, when, 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 uh, when I'm reading through the material that you sent, she had a full life uh, on Saugeen. She was, uh, I guess she was doing things happily there, but she, you said she wanted to get to the city. But what was her life like growing up? What was she like when she was younger? Uh, my daughter, Megan, um, she's born in 1989. Grew up at Saugeen First Nation. Uh, growing up, she was always a, a very precocious little child, very eager to learn, eager to um, investigate her surroundings. Uh, a busy spirit. She was mm. on the go, that kid. Mm. Growing up, I guess, around in her teen years, um, there was a local talent show um, as you'd have it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, she had the opportunity then to attend and um, be photographed and, um, I guess, see where that would take her with respect to modeling. Um, that was in Owen Sound. Uh, my daughter then, um, shortly thereafter, um, was fortunate enough to receive a callback from that talent agency um, asking her if she would um, be willing to travel to the city here and uh, participate in the more larger modeling agencies. She um, was afforded the chance um, with an agency called Carolyn's that had signed her up. Um, and through Carolyn's, uh, my daughter, uh, she was afforded the opportunity to participate in uh, area fashion shows and um, catalog photography appearing in 
uh, Canadian Tire and um, Mark's Work Warehouse um, mm-hmm. catalogs. And from there, things progressed to um, an opportunity that she was um, able to be a background um, participant in the television series Degrassi. Mm. So that was kind of the big draw for her. And that was around the time when she was turning eight year, um, 18 years of age. And um, that being the reason, I guess, why she was drawn to the city mm. um, for those opportunities, because there, were, there are more here than um, she would find back at home. But uh, growing up as a child, we traveled quite often. We were to the city, coming to shows, coming to concerts, shopping, just doing the things that we do. Um, and it kind of always, I guess, opened her eyes to the big lights of the city. Uh, mm. And that was the, the draw, mm. the big city. Right. But the, that welcoming opportunity to explore modeling mm-hmm. um, and to be able to finish the schooling was what had brought her here to the city originally. Right. And it was, um, I guess, through that where she just kind of grew to love the city and there was kind of no coming back home for mm. her. The city was the draw and this is where she made her home. Uh, growing up, though, the the young things that people go through, I guess, once you leave um, the reserve, leave the comforts of home, you uh, come to the city with those big, um, you know, aspirations of mm. things. And like most young people, those dreams, they're there, but sometimes they're without reach. So you're, I guess you drift. And it's quite often the problem that we find our young people when they come to the city encounter. So my daughter, this would have been in 2011, being a young person and um, wanting the things that young people want, I guess, um, she found herself in a situation where she shoplifted. Hmm. Anyways, she had attended at a, a drugstore in the city here. The long and short of it was she was arrested for shoplifting perfume. The end result of that incident being that she was arrested by police um, and taken back to uh, the 51 Division. I had learned after the fact through speaking with my daughter that during that um, incident, she, she was subjected to what would be known as a level three strip search where her clothing was removed and she was um, stripped naked, mm. which I know is a little excessive for an offense such as shoplifting. She wasn't going into custody. She wasn't being held for bail. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, she was released on her own recognizance on a promise to appear Um so we, we dealt with that in our own way. We, tr- we tried. So I'd like to just jump in and mention to the to listeners that uh, two things uh, here that I, I want I to ask about that level three, uh, if, you know, if, and, if that is sort of unusual for that situation, one. But two, I want to let people know that you have, uh, have some knowledge of this because you are trained as a police officer. That's and you correct. you served as a police officer that's in your correct. community. Yes. So so this is not unknown material to you. you you're familiar with this stuff. That's correct, sir. Yes. Okay. 
So continue. So so is this unusual in that situation that this strip search would have taken place? Yes, for an offense of shoplifting, there's no, you know, like it's 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 excessive for the offense. Mm. And being that she wasn't to go into any form of custody, that mm. she wasn't um, to be held for any kind of bail, mm. that um, you don't do those sorts of things for those offenses. And you were you you, you were saying that this. Uh, this shook her. This, this. Uh, she also had uh, issues. That she had psoriasis or some kind of skin ailment. She did have um, a skin condition, and um, that caused her quite great deal of embarrassment. She had brought that issue up to the police, not mm. wanting, you know, the embarrassment of sure. having to expose her skin right. to them. Mm. But to them, they had seen that as, um, I guess, an excuse to avoid um, having the right. strip search conducted on right. her. Uh, the strip search, it went ahead in front of several officers and not in um, the contained setting that uh, the -hmm. process normally would be conducted under. So my daughter did express to me that the shame, Mm -hmm. the humiliation, the degradation of having to be stripped naked in those settings, that Mm -hmm. it it harmed her. And it did... It harmed her spirit. It harmed her. It harmed her mentally. It harmed her physically. It harmed her emotionally. I could just. It was hard to watch my daughter endure those, mm. that treatment, and to watch her suffer. Mm. Um. So then, how soon after that was that that she launched this challenge? It was a slow process. It was 2011 when uh, the initial incident had occurred. Um, It wasn't until 2013 when the matter was um, coming to trial. And at that time, the Crown had withdrawn the charges based on the fact that there was uh, some challenges, I guess, with respect to her charter rights. Yes. And that's what the the challenge was against the charter rights. Yes. There was three specific uh, sections that were challenged. Section 7, um, Section 8, and Section 15, um, all pertinent to uh, an individual's right to um, be free of unreasonable search and seizure, Mm. the right to equality. Those are the issues that um, the lawyer had brought forward in recognition of the treatment, or shall I say mistreatment. And and this was, was was it tied to a class action lawsuit? Uh, This is, uh, no, it's not. It was, um, it was uh, filed individually on my daughter, on her behalf. Yep with respect to, I guess, uh, discrimination. Right. Okay. Um, now, I think you were saying you were you were kind of felt like you were out of the loop on this? I was. Um, no communication um, with the Crown's office, but then again, my daughter being of adult mm. age and uh, confidentiality, mm. um, her lawyer act, acts on her behalf again, so yeah. she is also, um, she's bound by the confidentiality yeah. with the client as well. So I'm not able to um, speak freely yep. with her. So I myself am in the position where I'm thinking um, to represent the interests after the fact that I too will now need counsel. Uh, and that was one of the things that was brought up. Mm. Um, my daughter passed in September. Yes. Um. Her death um, investigated by the police service 
uh, the very same police service that she um, was filing the suit against. Where I have an issue there being that there has been a real lack of communication with the police service, which in my heart, I kind of wonder if it's in, in part to do with the lawsuit that's in the background as to the lack of response or communication. So it's been a few months of unrest and mm. um, un- unsettled. Yeah. So do you mind if we go back and just fill in the gaps for people now? So leading up to her death, what what happened after that situation where uh, she was strip, sh- strip searched and she went on about her life, but she did have a life and uh, she got involved, I believe, with a, a couple of relationships, which uh, and then I guess some people that led her down the path of uh, not the best choices. Yes, she was involved. Um, it wasn't too far after the incident in 2011 where she entered into a relationship with a young fellow that proved to be um, volatile. Uh, domestic disturbance-related incidents between the two of them, um, which ultimately resulted in a stabbing. Uh, My daughter was um, harmed by her partner at that time. So she's had a very rough go. Just be clear that that stabbing didn't end her life. She recovered from that. She recovered. Um, And again, I must say um, the lack of services that were provided to her um, by the police service, that there wasn't very much aftercare, there wasn't much counseling, there wasn't much in the way of support for her as a victim. Mm. Um, We had to take that upon ourselves as a family and bring her home to our home community and seek healing there. Mm. So we had done the best we could to bring what healing we could to her. But for whatever reasons, she was always drawn to come back to the city. Mm. She loved the city. So shortly after that incident, she was back again. But she had developed a close-knit circle of friends and a life Mm. that was beyond, I guess, the smallness that Mm. she perceived um, reserve life as. Right. So those struggles um, here in the Native community, she developed close friendships with individuals. And again, the struggles our people face. Um, We were finding loss, that there was loss. And um, of her friends, um, there was passing. And it it was tough on her. It was very hard on her. So my daughter um, medicated herself in the best way she could mm. and where alcohol became the crutch to, mm. to cope. Right. So she struggled with, with the alcohol. And that was her, her way of coping, which unfortunately, a, um, many of our young people find themselves in that predicament. Mm. So, so take us uh, further down the... The, the path of her life and, and what happened, um, you know, to her, it, it ultimately what happened. There would be um, further little run-ins with the law, different little things, theft, um, mm. theft of small things. At first, um, it became out of want. 
wanting that perfume, mm. wanting mm. those things that are out of, right. you know, your affordability. Where it grew from that to kind of where it progresses to need, where you're hungry. So you're going to, mm. you're going to, you know, mm. take a sandwich. So those small things, things like that, that she would find herself in those scrapes. Mm. So progressively to her, life was not good. Mm. How did that, how did that make you feel? How, what kind of counseling were you trying to give her at the time? We, um, we did try the route of um, the counseling, the non-traditional mm. counseling session mm. that's mm. offered on the outside. Uh, we were finding that that was hard to find um, someone that could handle, I guess, um, in particular, the issues mm. of a Native person. Sure. Quite often we find um, our issues are very complex. Mm. What we found to be more helpful was to pursue healing through our traditional methods. So we brought her home, participated in ceremony, and the support of family. So that is how we we dealt with helping her Mm -hmm. the best way we knew how. Right. So she she progressed, though, with, um, with beyond alcohol. She started getting into drugs, you were saying. Yes. Towards the end of her life, um, I'd learn it was it was a shock. It, mm. I'll be very honest. It was a shock because I'd known my daughter and mm. I, I'd known that she had struggled. Mm. But to my awareness, I, I had no knowledge of, of drug use. Mm. So it was quite the shock. The police had advised that, the, that they had assumed that she had passed as a result of um, drugs. Fentanyl was something that was brought up, and I was told that her death was suspected because as a result of that drug. So from there, I was told that that investigation would now um, be handled by the chief coroner's office of Ontario and that um, the Metro police would step to the side and that the jurisdiction of the investigation would be under the coroner. So that being a slow process, again, they had advised that it could be anywhere up to six months for them to complete the tests and um, be able to provide me that report. So it took a few months of uncertainty and just, I, would, I was sick to my stomach just not knowing, mm. you know, how sure. the circumstances, why. And I, I, this is a constant I'm going to address again, the lack of communication with police, mm because there was no no communication with them. Mm. And, and I can say to the state there, there still isn't. Mm. Um, it took four months to hear back from the coroner. And I had learned that, in fact, um, fentanyl was not mm. in her bloodstream, but uh, it, was, it was heroin. Mm. So it was, again, a shock to me to have learned that my daughter was involved in that. Right. But learning that that is something that is a growing problem with our people. Mm-hmm. So she's opened my eyes to the issue of opioid and, and the, the problem, the bigger problem. It's, it's in front of us now here mm-hmm. that it's affecting so many people. Right. She's brought that awareness through right. her passing of, I guess, the importance of that crisis that's in front of us today. Right. 
We have to take a pause, but we'll be right back on Moment of Truth with Audra Root and uh, talking about her dog, her daughter, Megan Anquat, from uh, the uh, Sogging First Nation here on Element FM. We'll be right back after this. We're back on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And uh, Element FM, of course, broadcasts to Toronto and Ottawa. In Toronto at 106.5 and in, in Ottawa at 95.7. You can also listen to us anywhere in Canada on the Radio Canada app. Download the app and uh, type in Element FM 95.7 or 106.5. And you can listen. Tell your friends. Tell your relatives. You can listen anywhere across the country. We're talking with Audra Root uh, about her daughter, Megan Anquat. Her daughter passed away in September of 2018. We're talking about her life and uh, what led up to her her passing. And we really appreciate Audra coming in today to tell us about the story and share this with us. And she is still trying to find some closure in terms of the events that, that, that are going through the courts in a very slow way for her. So, uh, Audra, can you can you tell us a little bit more about the the case, where it stands at this point in time? Okay, um, it would have been in December of the past year of two thousand eighteen. Um, there was a meeting here in the city. It was um, uh, mediation, mediation for settlement was the title of the meeting. Um, I had attended this meeting, and it was a meeting with Megan's lawyer and the parties um, representing the police service. The purpose, again, um, we were to gather just to talk about the possibility of uh, settlement. Um, at that discussion, though, the police, um, the formalities, I guess, of advising them that Megan had deceased, had just recently passed away, that um, the, the meeting, the context of the meeting had changed. The gist of it being that with Megan's passing, that um, there would there isn't a plaintiff anymore with respect to the action that Megan was filing with the court. So my concern being that her passing should not negate what had happened to her, that Megan had suffered an injustice at the hands of the police, and at the very least that they acknowledge the wrongdoing and apologize. Mm. Apologize. That's that's the bottom line. My my daughter is worth more, worth more than that. As any parent would would want, they would want the you know the what's due for their child, mm. and that's all I'm looking for. It's nothing monetary. Mm. It is just the acknowledgement of the fact that there was wrongdoing done that grossly affected my daughter that hurt her spirit that harmed her in such a way that it affected her life and it's just too big of a stretch to to say that her passing negates it that the incident therefore didn't happen right my concern being that other first nations women that this has happened to other youth in the, in the city that this has happened to that where do they go, where do you go for help? And that this shouldn't happen in the first place, that mm. the police should be people that you trust, that police aren't the ones that are going to cause further harm that affect your life. Mm. That's, that's just, it doesn't sit well with me. I'm glad you, you took that to the larger issue of, of how this affects other women and, and how it... it uh, 
um, it, it it reflects on other women in the same situation, and and that you're you're looking at that as well. It sounds also like you're saying that um, that th- this this entire unfortunate situation that that happened to your daughter, uh, you said affected her spirit, and then that affected her choices. Is that what you're saying? Very much, very much so, very much so. It harmed her mm. to to the point where she didn't love herself anymore. Mm. Now, when you say you're 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 looking for uh, an apology, and um and and that your daughter's life was worth worth more than it to be just swept under the table and forgotten, and uh, and of course I, I agree that, that that any parent would want that from <clears throat> for their 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 uh, children, but it also, as you say, it speaks to it speaks up for other other Indigenous women and other people in the same situation. Yes. That being one of the main points that um, was brought to light through the lawyer, that there were other Indigenous women in her practice that she had come across who have similar stories. Mm. It's just that Megan's was, I guess, one that was big. Mm. If you were to get an apology, if you did this, if this did come through for you, how do you think that would would um, what would that do for you? It brings some closure, I'm guessing. But but what do you think that would say? Not to you, not only to you, but to, to me, but to other yes. other First Nation women that they are safe, that they they can expect that treatment from the police that that any normal citizen here would that you're treated fairly, equally, respectfully. That those things happen. And have you had contact with other other people who have had similar situations? I have actually. Some of Megan's friends have shared with me mm. incidences of um, mistreatment, mm. if you will. Mm. Just uh, the lack, I guess, of support, um, and just finding it in their in their own heart to be able to to say that yes, something has in fact happened to me, and to find that strength to to be able to, to say, yes, I've been hurt and I matter. Mm. Um, what do you think we should be doing? Is there, a, is there a, a, this disconnect? As you say, that she was drawn to the lights of the city, but she, was, you know, she came from the reserve, but she spent a lot of time here. What should we be doing as parents, as Indigenous parents, uh, that you can think of maybe from, from going through this situation? that we can help our kids uh, in some way. Street smarts has always been something that's drilled into everyone's heads, but mm. with, with the bigger issues now that kids have to face with respect to drugs, mm. with respect to the different issues that come at you, um, I would hope that um, the different organizations within the city here that we make our, our children aware that there are organizations I'm thankful my daughter was able to, she had ran into, I'll give a prop to her, her name is Colette McComb. She's with um, Aboriginal Legal here in the city. She was very helpful, helpful in every way. Um, Those types of services, though, um, to make our young people aware that those are here, that they are safe places to go, that there are Indigenous people here that care Mm. to stress the importance of the services here. Mm. Um. We want to to play a song, one of the uh, women's songs that that we have today. 
Um, uh, actually, you had a choice of songs as well. Um, perhaps we, we should go to that. But I'm just wondering if there's anything else before we, we go to that that you want to say that we haven't covered that you feel is important to mention. Um, at this time? Okay. No worries. Now, you have picked uh, a couple of... Uh, you picked uh, Pretty Brown by David Campbell. Yes. So why don't we go play uh, Pretty Brown, and we'll come back on Moment of Truth with uh, Audra Root and myself, David Moses, and hopefully we will have Kim Wheatley on the phone. <laughs> We're back on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, David Moses. We just heard Pretty Brown by David Campbell. That was a request from our guest in the studio, Audra Root. And we have been talking with Audra about her daughter and um, the unfortunate passing of her daughter uh, just in September and the, 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 the life uh, and the situation and the, the circumstances around uh, her, not only her passing, but the choices she made as she came to the big city from the Saugeen First Nation and I want to thank uh, uh, Audra and her, her parents for coming in uh, today. They drove down from Saugeen First Nation to be here, and I appreciate that commitment uh, for sure. Uh, we also now have on the phone with us Kim Wheatley. Now, Kim is an Anishinaabe, uh, Anishinaabe band member from Shawanaga First Nation, uh, also up around the Georgian Bay area. And uh, she, um, she uh, is a, a proud mother of three, and she has a, uh, a grandmother of two. And she is a multi-award-winning cultural consultant representing, re- representing Canada internationally and locally on diverse issues. Now, what these, these two women both have in common, as you, we may have, uh, we did mention earlier today, it is International Women's Day. We wanted to uh, celebrate women. And um, a couple of weeks ago, on Friday, uh, February 20, 22nd, we, we learned that uh, water protector and activist Josephine Mandeman passed away. And she was 77 year old, years old, but she, of course, uh, uh, started the movement in 2003 to lead a movement of indigenous water protectors to carry out a series of ceremonial water walks around the, the Great Lakes and around Turtle Island. And uh, in, her, in her life, she walked more than 1,700 uh, kilometers. Um, and both these women that are here with us today had the, the pleasure and honor of working uh, and, and, and spending time with, with Josephine. And I wanted to, uh, to, you know, sort of partly feature Josephine for all the work that she did in regard to water protection, but also um, just to celebrate women in general, as we were saying. So I'm, I'm very uh, honored that, that both the women we have with us today were able to spend some time with uh, Josephine, but also have that connection with her. So, uh, Kim, welcome to the show. Anine bonjour. I'm so, so happy to be here, David. Uh, thank you for, for inviting me and condolences to you and your family around what has happened. And I stand in solidarity with you in terms of our relationship to water and being able to celebrate this day. I, I, I love the indigenous, indigenous kind of approach to celebrating indigenous women in particular. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be here. Uh, uh, Kim, how long ago did you did you first meet Josephine? So you know, I was thinking about that in preparation for the show, and it just seems like I've known her forever. And and, and it's like that when you're doing good work, you feel like you've known somebody forever. 
Um, I certainly started my water walking in the Kwartha Lakes region with Nibi Imasadamajig, and those are uh, the women who walk for water. And Josephine and uh, Elder uh, Dr. Shirley Williams, uh, along with Liz Zalmik, had this vision that, you know, we need to care for the waters in that particular region. And, of course, Josephine was there, and she helped us to, to make sure that we did it in the way that honors us culturally, but also respects us as women and connects us to our first mother, which is the earth. So I, w- I would say I've been walking for over a decade. And, you know, Josephine started in 2003. And I just feel like I've always been water walking. I mean, I was uh, carried in water, birthed in water, and uh, I grew up around water. So I, I think as children, we know that water is special. And uh, today we call it water walking. And, you know, this is this consciousness arising and people are nudged to consciousness to, to do your part. But I feel like I've always done it. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Audra, how about you? When did you first start? Uh, if, do you remember when you first met Josephine or, or spent some time with her? I participated in the water walk uh, 2015. Okay. Uh, would you have been on that, Kim? Uh, I've, I've participated in so many water walks <laughs> that it's, you know, it's, it's hard to define one specific date. Um, but I, I started in Corsa Lakes probably seven, over seven years ago now um, in their walks. And I've walked all kinds of rivers. I've walked uh, locally, regionally. I've walked in the United States. I walked the Ohio River. Um, that was 80 kilometers in four days, nonstop from sunrise to sunset, within a remarkable grandmother down there named Sharon Day. And uh, that was the first time I actually heard the water speak to me. Mm. That was a very profound and sacred moment for me. And all of that was inspired by Josephine herself and her constant encouragement, you know, saying my name, saying, Kim, you can do this. Kim, it's important. Uh, and asking me to speak and asking me to do things. And and so I, I, I'm reflecting on that as we're, we're trying to narrow it down to just dates because it's more than dates. Um, in 2017, I had the great honor of organizing the Great Lakes Water Walk which was a walk that took place here in Toronto. Hadn't happened before. It was a very large engagement where we had uh, groups of walkers start in the Rouge River and Mm. walk all the way in towards uh, Ontario Place. There's a park near there, Maryland Bell Park. And then they walked all the way from the mouth of the Port Credit River into Maryland Bell Park. And uh, Josephine and Shirley and and, uh, Liz were all there along with Georgie Horton-Baptiste. And those women... Those women comprise Nibi Masadamajig, and they offered a prayer for the water that included every multi-faith and multicultural representative in the city of Toronto, which we know is the most diverse city on earth. Um, we all came together in this magnificent water ceremony. Hmm. That's that's great, uh, Miigwech, for sharing that. But now I'm wondering if if um, I can get a sense from from both of you why you think it is important to do this work. But also, Kim, if you don't mind me asking, could you explain for people that don't know anything about water walking or water protecting why it's right. why you do it? What would you say to people that that have no idea about this and 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 why you're doing it? Water is sacred. Water, plain and simple, in the most profound terms, is life. It's above, below, and within us. It's what we're carried in. It's what we're birthed on. It's what we need when we're ill. It's what we need when we're healthy. It's where we go to when we are looking for, 
you know, health and wellness in a holistic fashion. It's what's encouraged by doctors. It is the foundational principle on this earth that connects all beings, so all orders of creation, the mineral, the plant, the animal, the human um, orders of creation. It is an important process for all of us and was placed here as a gift, a right, and not a commodity. So the act of water walking, the understanding of building relationship to the world around you, both seen and unseen, comes through the cultural practice of water walking. But it isn't a universal act. It's a universal principle. It's a universal uniter of who we are. And if people who are listening have no idea what a water walk is, it's going and thinking and praying for the water in a connected and intentional fashion. So you may not be next to water, a seen body of water, but it's always beneath our feet. It's in the air we breathe. It's it's in the sky world above us. It fills over 70% of our bodies. It is 70% of the earth's makeup. And so it's all around us. You don't have to physically be near a seen body of water to have a relationship, to invite a relationship, to honor a relationship to that living being, that life force. So what we do when we're water walking is we come together in a good way. We start before the sun rises. We have a sunrise ceremony. We pray. We gather a pail of water. We put it in a copper bucket. Women come together in their skirts. It's a way of honoring the fact that we're life givers. This is important on this international you know, celebration of, of Women's Day. And, and we come together in that good way. The men come and stand with us. We bring our children, our aunties, our grannies, our uncles, um, our sons, and we walk with the intentional commitment to pray for the health and wellness of the water. And we thank the water. We show respect to the water. We offer our gratitude. And in united uh, fashion, our collective prayers and intentions go to all of creation, reminding creation that we know we're supposed to offer that thanks. And we are offering that gratitude for, for that. And we're showing through our act of walking that respect. When we get to the end of the water walk, we go to the water again. We've prayed over this, this water that we're, we've been carrying in such a careful, sacred manner, singing songs, offering prayers, and we release it back into a body of water, hoping that that will spread out that love, that respect, that care, that recognition of being will disperse into that beautiful um, feminine essence. Water is feminine in nature, and she knows you know, that we, we are connected and we're, we're inviting and offering and accepting that relationship that connects us all. So that's what water walking is about. And, and why I walk for the water, because I believe in prayer. I believe that water is a right and not a commodity. I believe that in this commercial world that we live in, especially in the Western world, we've forgotten how important water is and we need to change our choices so how can we do that? This is a universal issue. It's not specifically an Indigenous issue. It might be an Indigenous practice uh, for us here in North America, but it's spread around the world. They're doing this in Australia. They're doing it in New Zealand. They're doing it in Africa. They're doing it in Norway. They're doing it all over the earth. Uh, women, singularly or collectively, are coming together saying, I'm going to hold up my responsibility. This is a sacred responsibility. I'm going to do what I can with it. Anybody sees me or not, because the water knows. Kim, wow. Nyawa uh, miigwech for that. That was beautiful. And and thank you for saying that. I'm glad I asked the question. Listen, I, 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 hate to, I didn't want to cut you off, but we have to take a short pause. So we'll no be right back on Moment of Truth right after this. 
And we are back on Moment of Truth. Welcome uh, to uh, Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. We have online with us Kim Wheatley. She is an Anishinaabe cultural consultant, and she was just giving us a wonderful rendition of uh, uh, of, of her explanation of, of protecting the water and walking for the water. Also in the studio with us, we have Audra Root, and she was uh, telling us earlier about her daughter's story. And uh, it is a story that continues for her, and we, we certainly want to wish her all the best with with finding closure and finding answers for her, uh, for herself and her family and her daughter. And um, uh, Kim, uh, we also want to say thank you to you for coming on the show and talking uh, to us on this International Women's Day. We, we do really want to celebrate uh, and try to do our best to celebrate women. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's really, really uh, cool and, and that we were able to bring water into this. You know, Kim, you, yeah. you spoke about it so wonderfully. I can't think of a better way. As a, it, it does give us life. It is life for us. And you spoke about how we need it no matter if we're ill, whether we're healthy. We need it all the time. And we need to mm-hmm. respect that water. And we need to pay attention to if it gets sick, we're all going to get sick. Exactly. Truth talk right there. Uh, Audra, do you have anything that you would like to add? I would just like to say miigwech, Kim, for those beautiful words and your description of Uh the water walk. I was honored to Mm -hmm. meet Josephine and participate um, in carrying the water, carrying Nibi. So miigwech for for your words. Mm. Miigwech. You know, Josephine walked all of the Great Lakes over 27,000 kilometers. Oh, 27, pardon me. Eight pairs of running shoes. She had three knee replacements. She did it without government funding. She did it for the people. She did it for the greater good. One person has changed the world. And her story and her efforts and her commitment will never be forgotten. So on this day, as we celebrate International Women's Day, I want all women to know that you have a right and a responsibility to hold up this this work that she has done, this legacy that she has left to us, and that you are capable of doing it. So I'd like to ask you guys this. Um, you've both been on, on water walks and, and uh, water uh, to, to protect the waters. But, but, and you said, Kim, I, I liked what you said about this being, you know, it might be an indigenous practice, but it's not an indigenous issue. Uh, water is for all of us on this planet, and we, we all need the water. So what I'm wondering about is how, how many times have you seen non-indigenous women participate in these water walks? Every single time, every single time, Dave. There's never been a time when there hasn't been, you know, one of our one of our sisters come and join us in solidarity, either to help or to actually walk or to carry or to sing or, or to learn or or to just offer her respectful presence. Mm. I've never been on a walk yet where there hasn't been one, and uh, and what I find m- most. Um, impactful is they ask if they can come. Mm. And of course, we open our arms like we always have to welcome people into our circles and to, to be part of that relationship, that responsibility, and to carry the, the, the reciprocity of, of doing and teaching by doing and being present in that process. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, and I, I'm guessing, and, and I, that's why I specifically asked because I knew you were going to say that 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 non-indigenous <laughs> people participated. I just knew it. Uh, women you're, are well. You're a human being first, right? <laughs> your your cultural clothing is just one aspect of who you are. Mm. But you know, if you're here in the female form, 
You are a life giver. You are already intimately connected to our beautiful Earth Mother because she's female as well. And she gives birth to everything we need to live a good long life. All we need to do is offer gratitude. Water walking is filled with gratitude. And one of our traditional teachings is that the day you forget to give thanks for the things that are around us is the day it begins to disappear. Mm. I think people need to think about that. Have you thanked the water today? Mm. And is mm-hmm. that the first thing you put in your in your mouth? I, and it's not coffee water or tea water, just water. Mm. You know, and, and show that gratitude. Um, we are change makers, and we're capable of doing it right now. You know, as as I hear you speak, and as I hear you you say these things, and uh, I, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting more uh, uh, not excited, but I'm more thankful that I that I brought the two of you on here to talk about water because not only water, but but you mentioned that uh, water water is feminine. Water, you know, it, 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 and and the Mother Earth is also feminine. So by thanking uh, women internationally, we are also thanking our Mother Earth today as well. 100%. And how beautiful is that? How sacred is that? How universal is mm. that? You know, all the grandmothers, the aunties, the mothers, the sisters, the friends, the daughters, these are beings that are intimately connected to the earth. And so when you thank the earth, you thank them. When you thank them, you thank the earth. There's no disconnect there. Yeah. Audrey, you have anything to add to that? <laughs> She's captured beautifully. <laughs> she said it all. Listen, you know, I really feel, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to jump to one of the Manitou Makwa singers' songs. That uh, they're they're from uh, the the new, new Credit Reserve. Uh, uh, Kim, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with them, and I've seen them perform many times. Uh, they are a powerful force for women and uh, beautiful voices. So if you don't mind... Uh, They're very strong. They are. So if you don't mind, I'd like to, uh, to launch into a song by them as we celebrate uh, all women and Mother Earth today, water, and, and everywhere. So uh, let's hear one of their songs. Uh, it doesn't matter really which one. How about Forever in a Day, track two? We'll listen to that one. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much. We'll come right back after this on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Whew, yeah, Manitou Makwa Singers. Uh, right here on Element FM, and that was forever and a day. Uh, you know, I said it was an all women's uh, singing group, and I, you know, I definitely heard some guy. He must have snuck. They snuck him in there <laughs> on that song. But uh, anyway, boy, did that ever feel like a, a round dance or something? I sure felt like reaching out my hands and dancing with everybody around me. How about you, Kim? Oh yeah, their voices are so powerful. They they're medicine singers. Mm. Like, so when when you hear those songs. You know, the spirit in you wants to get activated. And so, yeah, you want to move for sure. (laughs) So listen, we're quickly uh, coming to the end of our show today. Kim, I want to ask you if uh, there's anything uh, you want to mention, uh, either about International Women's Day, about Josephine, about water, uh, anything else that that we haven't mentioned that uh, we can we can you want to you want to finish off with today? Miigwech bidasigeba. That is Josephine's spirit name. I will miss her immensely, and she has changed the lives of many women. Her legacy will live on. And I want to encourage listeners out there to be like water, to connect to water, to encourage a relationship with that. So talk to your families. 
your daughters, your your husbands, your brothers, your sons, your neighbors. Talk to everybody. And let's get a collective movement going here where the health and wellness of water is part of our daily practice. It is the norm and not something that we have to go and petition for or, or champion because it just is. It was before. Let's go back to the way it was before and restore the health and wellness that water can provide for us all in a good way, with a good heart and a good mind. I believe in each and every one of you and your ability to do this. So that's the message I'd love to close with. Miigwech, Josephine. Miigwech to all those women water walkers that are out there. Miigwech to all those women who are listening here today. Pass the message along. Each one can teach one. Miigwech. Miigwech, mm, Kim. Uh, really appreciate those words. Audra, any, any final words? I would just like to say... Uh Happy Women's Day to uh, all my sisters. I'm mm. very happy to be here today and to have met you, David. And um, watch. Well, I want to thank you for coming in today. And uh, Kim, I want to thank you for being on the show. Audra, I wish you all oh, the best uh, with, with your, your daughter's uh, continuing story. I hope you find closure. I hope you get the answers you're looking for. And I hope you'll keep us uh, uh, abreast of, of what's going on so we can uh, pass that along as well. I will. Thank you very much. Let's do it for the water. Mm. Thanks, Kim. Uh, Kim, I know you have to get back to your uh, your events, and thanks for taking the time to uh, be on the show with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure, my honour. And uh, so what I want to say is we've been, uh, we've been speaking with uh, Audrey Root about her daughter, uh, Megan Anaquak, and they, they are both from the, the Saugeen First Nation. That looks like we're wrapping up our time here as I hear the music playing in the background. I want to also thank Kim Wheatley, the Anishinaabe Cultural Consultant, for being on the show with us. She's from the Shawanaga First Nation. And I want to thank the um, Manitou Makwa singers for sending in those songs. I'm sorry we only got to play one of them. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening. Look forward to the next time.